The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. He, he put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until it was all, all of it was leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which someone found and hid. Then in his joy he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in a search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and caught fish of every kind. When it was full, they drew it ashore, sat down, and put the good into baskets, but threw out the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all of this? They answered, yes. And when he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like the master of a household who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. The Gospel of the Lord. So as I was preparing the sermon for this week, reading over all of the lessons, I realized exactly how complicated it is. You go from a lesson where we talk about expectations and them not being fulfilled, and then the underlying ideas of the Old Testament about women being bought and sold based on labor, into the Romans text where we talk about how there's the good and the bad and then on to the Matthew text, where it talks about how people will be sorted out on the righteous and the wicked. We don't always expect to hear these themes throughout the Bible, yet they're always there. Yet we expect God to still speak from them. And sometimes those expectations can be rough when they don't match up with exactly what we expect. So, in the first reading, we saw that Jacob was angry with Laban because he was disappointed that he was given Leah first instead of Rachel. If you depart from the differences of women being traded on the basis of labor, we look deeper to see that there was disappointment. That disappointment was on the basis where he assumed he would receive Rachel instead of Leah. And then LeBaron said no, and there was disappointment. If you think about it, the disappointment is the problem, but it isn't the other's problem, the other person's problem necessarily, but rather the expectations that are put upon you. An example of that in today's world would be a parent who is upset with a child who chose one career 
over another, such as a musician over a doctor or a lawyer, or a mother who is disappointed that their child decided not to have children. These are all examples of the disappointments that every single one of us would face. But it's not on the basis of the other person's actions, but rather what we force upon them. And there's seemingly this disappointing image in the kingdom of heaven when it comes to the Gospel of Matthew. A mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds in the earth, yeast, something that we're so used to and having in our world. A treasure and a pearl can make a little bit more sense because of the richness, but then we're back to a net. What exactly is Jesus' point in what he's talking about? Jesus is challenging our expectations, our expectations that everything is good. So we have to be very careful when we hear the last part about the separation from the righteous and the wicked. Jesus has been very clear that heaven is so far different from what we expect it to be. And that difference leads to guilt, anger, all stemming from that disappointment. These are the negative dynamics of failed expectations. However, in those disappointments and that guilt and anger comes something very powerful. What Jesus talks about as the kingdom is premised on forgiveness, joy, and hope. And it's through the power of Christ's words that it is a good, new, good news that a human relationship can be transformed. There's a holy, incredible power behind saying, I forgive you. We are freed from guilt and anger, and we can finally experience that joy. And in other gospel lessons, Jesus talks about doing this 70 times 7. And we actually hope to nurture that heavenly place that Jesus talks about. Yet, there is this promise of that forgiveness, joy, and hope. That's not the only thing that's within this, these readings. We're freed from our expectation and judgments of one another, but the, task, the, but the task that we face and the other options are that we are freed to see different visions of God's activity. We witness the wonder of one seed becoming a sanctuary for birds. Another celebrates the magic of human labor on a scale that is close to the earth, mixing ground wheat berries, at the time probably ground by hand, with water and single cell fungi. With some heat from a fire, the result is a miracle that transforms into something that is one of our staples, bread. The other two come from the various and persistent pursuit of pursuing priceless treasure and beauty for its own sake. Perhaps, like Jacob with Rachel, it is time that we love the people with a singleness of heart that is actually evidence of these different visions. 
we don't have to fear seven or 14 years of commitment because each person and place and interaction that we have is full of the presence and glory of God. For instance, right now for the summer, I'm in what's called clinical pastoral education. I'm working in a hospital as a chaplain where I sit with people as they die and I walk with people as they lose their children. It's a truly challenging and complicated thing, but even in the presence, in those moments where a death has happened, a loved one has died, there is still God. God fills those presence and those moments and how that interaction works and gives people comfort through me. Not because I'm this amazing person, but because the Holy Spirit acts like that string of the cups between God and the people who are suffering. All of the parables in today's gospel explain the aspect of the God's kingdom. These parables are explicitly addressed to the disciples to encourage their discernment of their roles. We acknowledge that the kingdom is hidden in the mustard seed and the treasure in a field, and it has surpassing value when we search for the pearl of great price and its universality and the dragnet, which catches us all, good and bad. It's a reminder that there are other realities to convey the notion of God's realm. More specifically, the first parable compares the kingdom of God to the mustard seed, the tiniest seed, and it grows into the greatest of shrubs, becoming a tree in which birds can make their home. We classify the mustard seed as the smallest, and it appears and it grows and it crystallizes the intents of the parable that a small beginning of the kingdom, our daily interactions with other people, can flourish and become unexpectedly great. And then in the second parable, it compares the kingdom of God to to yeast mixed into three measures of flour. Again, yeast will start very small and grow to expand through the process of rising. And also, the thing is, is that those three measures of flour are equivalent to be what would now be 50 pounds of flour. So what that means is that a little yeast can go an incredibly far away, just like that little mustard seed can. And the third parable compares the kingdom of heaven to a treasure hidden in a field, which, when discovered, causes the discoverer to sell everything in order to purchase that field. Because of the fact that there is a small item in a field amongst any, we can focus on that item, which is that presence of God that we feel in day-to-day life. And then the fourth parable compares the kingdom of heaven to a merchant who discovers a pearl of great value. Just like in Christ's death and resurrection, we receive a great pearl of great value. Our salvation and the forgiveness of sins, and it's hidden in the most unlikely places. Which brings us to the fifth parable, which is sometimes the hardest to deal with. 
a net, and it draws on the life experience common to that time period. Fishermen casting a net over the side of a boat and hauling in the catch and just taking the actions and separating the good from the bad. It's an actual judgment idea that pervades our world and our life, that the good and the bad are going to be separated. However, so often we take it upon ourselves to be that separator and that fisherman, instead of allowing God to be that person. We're not called in this world to be that person that judges the other and tries to separate us as being the good and them being the bad. That division is what has created the situation in the world today. Regardless of which side of the political spectrum you fall on, there is division. It's an us versus them mentality. And that mentality is what we see in the parable, but it's not our responsibility to create that division. Because God comes and finds us as we search for the reign of God, and we discover it already blossoming in our mists through the mustard seeds, through the flower, all the yeast in the flower. And through that one hidden treasure and that great value from a pearl, these items are God's kingdom in our world the way we center our lives. And that can only happen within the horizon of the life-saving action that Jesus took upon the cross. So while all three of these texts may be daunting when read individually, they give us a very clear story of what God means for us, that we are saved, and it's not our job to separate people. And we find God in the unlikeliest 